ました。
Father, please teach us much, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me, um, let me start by, by putting an image in your mind, by uh, putting a picture in your mind that I hope will help you as we go through this, this service. And I, I want to take you to uh, Revelation chapter 4. Don't worry about turning to it. Let me just tell you what's there. In Revelation chapter 4, we see an image, a, a, a vision of the throne of God. It's pretty cool, right? It's an amazing, powerful, awesome, beautiful throne. And around God, the, the throne, there are God's people. They're represented as the 24 elders, but they're all there around the throne. And we're told what they're doing. We're told in Revelation 4 that they bow down before the throne. And then this is the image, ready? They lay their crowns before the throne. Now, I want to challenge you, and I want to say this afternoon, that if we really understand what Mark is telling us, our response will be to take the crown off our heads and to lay it down before Jesus. That's what I want to try and show you this afternoon. That is the right and appropriate response to what Mark chapter 1 is all about. It means saying, there is a king and it is not me. That's what Mark chapter 1 is all about. Now, of course, that's going to be a problem, right? That's going to be a little bit uncomfortable because, to be honest, I want to confess to you this afternoon, I I love my crown. I like my crown. I like having a crown. I like being in control. I like having my hands on the steering wheel of my life. I don't mind if there's someone sitting next to me, giving me advice and telling me directions most of the time. I don't mind if there's someone map reading for me and telling me when I've gone wrong. But I don't want anyone else to have the steering wheel. I'd like to hold the wheel because I want to be in charge. And so the thought of taking the crown off my head or handing the steering wheel over to someone else, that's a little bit scary. It's a little bit much. And so you may be here this afternoon and you may have heard a bit about Jesus and you may think, actually, this Jesus bloke, I think he's all right. I might even let him get in my car. I might even let him get in the passenger seat. I want to show you this afternoon, that's just not enough. That's not enough. All this stuff about, I'm going to let Jesus into my heart. I'm going to let Jesus into my life. That's not enough. He doesn't want to be in your heart. He wants to be in the driving seat. He wants you to take the crown off your head and to lay it down before him and say, Jesus, you're the king. I'm not. There is a king and it isn't me. Now that is crystal clear from what Mark is saying in this chapter 1. So let's have a look at it with me, would you? John chapter, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Have a look down. After John was put in prison, John was sent to prepare the way. We saw that last week. His job is done, and that's it. He didn't get much of a part, did he? He's put in prison. He's done his part. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Fascinating, isn't it? First thing we're told about Jesus, he's a preacher. Is that how you picture Jesus, as a preacher? We tend to think of him as a healer or a miracle worker or maybe as a great example to follow, maybe as a wise man, maybe as a good teacher. But Mark says, no, he's a preacher. That means he has a message that he wants to declare, something he wants to announce, something he wants to proclaim to the world. He's got a message. And here's his claim. Look at verse 15. 
The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Now I wonder what, what, what is your honest response to those words? The kingdom of God has come near. What's your honest response? Perhaps you sit there and go, all right, nice, interesting. I want to... Sh- we, we need to dig, right? We need to dig into this phrase. And I want to work us a little bit, okay? Because we've got to get our brains in gear. It's not, I know it's a Sunday afternoon, but we've got to work hard to understand what this phrase really means. Because if you can understand what this phrase means, you will understand that Jesus is making the most outrageous claim he could ever make. He's saying something massive. It's a monster claim that Jesus says when he says the kingdom of God has come near. So I want to show you it. Okay? I want to try and show you. Let's, let's dig into what this phrase really means. And I could go to loads of places, but I want to take you back in time, probably 500 years before Jesus, to a king. A king who had a shiny crown and he loved his crown. His name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was king of Babylon, the mighty empire of Babylon. He ruled the superpower of the day, the hanging gardens of Babylon. All of that stuff, it was all his, under his control. He loved his crown. He was a pretty proud man. And then one night he had a dream. And in the dream, God spoke to him and he said two terrifying words. Two of the most terrifying words that a proud, crown-loving king like Nebuchadnezzar could ever hear. Here are the two words. After you will come another king. Do you see how terrifying that is? After me? What do you mean after me? There is no after me. I, I'm, I'm king. <coughs> I was listening, and please don't judge me for this. <laughs> and it's not Taylor Swift. For those who've been here for a few weeks, you'll know that every sermon so far has mentioned Taylor Swift. No mention of her today except that I just have. Uh, I was listening to an interview uh, Peter Stringfellow uh, the other day. He was being interviewed, 74-year-old bloke, owns loads of strip clubs in London, all over the world, right? And he sat there, and the interviewer said to him, are you not scared of getting old? And he said, I'm never going to die. Isn't that fascinating? I'm never going to die. And that was Nebuchadnezzar. After me? Yes, Nebuchadnezzar. After you, there'll come another king. And after that king, there'll be another one. And after that king, there'll be another king. And after that king, there'll be another king. That was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But, now here's the cool part. In the middle of that dream, God showed Nebuchadnezzar something breathtaking. I'll I'll put, put the words up on the screen. Have a look at this. It says this. In the time of those kings, Nebuchadnezzar, you proud king, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Do you see what God says he's going to do? In this world of kingdoms, here's a kingdom, here's a kingdom. So the Babylonian kingdom, it didn't last. It was replaced by the Medes and the Persians. (coughs) King Darius. But then he died. The Medes and the Persian kingdom was replaced by the Greek Empire, the mighty Greek Empire. It's full of wisdom and philosophy and such brilliant, brilliant minds. And then it 
ended, and then there was the Roman Empire. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go, right? They don't last. But God said he'd set up a king. He'd set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed, that would bring all those other kingdoms to an end, and itself would last forever. But that was 500 years ago in Jesus' day. There was no sign of it, really. He'd had all these kingdoms come and go. And then suddenly, one day, by the Sea of Galilee, a young Jewish bloke, a carpenter, opens his mouth and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Can't you sense it? Can't you feel the earth-shattering thing that Jesus is saying? He's saying it's happening now. All that was promised, this kingdom, this one kingdom that will itself endure forever and ever and ever, it's happening now, Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom that's going to bring all other kingdoms to an end, it's happening right now. That is a big claim, yes? That's what Jesus is saying. With the coming of me has come this everlasting kingdom. Can you feel that? If this is really happening, if what Jesus says is true, then the next line is obvious, right? Have a look at what Jesus says next. The kingdom of God has come near, so (coughs) repent and believe the good news. Repent means take the crown off your head and lay it down before Jesus. Say, I am not the king. There is a king and it is not me. Take the crown off your head and lay it before Jesus. Entrust your life to him. Now, let's just think for a second because you may say to me, but that's not good news. I don't want to be told I'm not king. I think being king is good news. I don't want to be not the king. Can I just show you? Let me just prove to you for a second. I want to prove something to you. If you are king... That is bad news. That is terrible news if you're the king. It's terrible news because it means you have to spend your whole life trying to build your kingdom. It means you have to try and build something that will last. That's what your life is going to be all about. Do you remember building sandcastles on the beach? I don't know when the last time you built a sandcastle was. You know how building sandcastles goes, you know, it's fun, it's kind of, you build your sandcastle, blah, blah, blah. For, for a nice, for, you know, for a little while, you have a nice castle. And you stand in the middle of your castle, perhaps, and you say, look at me, I'm the king of my empire castle. But what do you know is coming? What do you always know is coming? The waves, right? The waves are coming in. And they're coming closer and closer. And they're going to bash into your castle. And bit by bit, they will erode it away. And it will crumble. And if that castle means everything to you, your life is going to fall apart. And you're going to have to frantically try and fix it. (laughs) There's water coming in. Quick, quick, build, build. It's futile. It's pointless. You cannot win because the tide is going to wash your castle away. If you're the king, that's what life's going to be like. You are going to have to try and build your castle as best you can. And can I say to you, for a brief, a brief moment of your life, you might make it. You might have a nice castle. And you might be able to stand in the middle of your nice castle and say, 
I'm the king of the castle. But you know what's coming. Don't you know? Don't you know that the waves are coming? The waves that you can't stop, that are going to come crashing in and are going to begin to crumble and eat away at your castle until it's washed away completely and you're left with nothing. Don't be fooled by the two or three years when your life is all sorted and everything. Some people never even get that. Some people's castle never works. But don't be fooled for the two or three years that you think actually everything seems to be good in life. Don't be fooled by that. You know the waves are coming. And that's why it's not good news if you're king. It is good news if there's another king, and it's good news if there's another king whose kingdom won't be destroyed. Can't you see that? Because suddenly, rather than living my life for something which will not last, I can live for something which really will last. Jesus calls us to lay down our crowns to find our delight in the true king. And the next three stories tell us why. That was my introduction, but, but it was meant to be long. Okay, that was, don't, don't panic. I've got three points now about why we should lay our crowns down, and they come from the next three stories, and we're going to have to go quite quick now, right? Here's my first point about why we should lay down our crowns uh, before Jesus. It's because there is something bigger than fishing for fish. Lay down your crown before Jesus because there's something bigger than fishing for fish. Look down at the next bit of the passage, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Right, why are they fishing? Right, for food, because they're fishermen. That's what fishermen do. They want food. What do fish equal if you're a fisherman? Fish equal food, security, success, presumably. If you get a lot of fish, you might get rich. You might be able to build a little empire of fishing boats. You could set up Galilee's fish thing. And you could have a little empire of fishing boats, your little kingdom. That is what life is like, fishing for fish, fishing for fish. I've got to get more. I've got to try and get as much as I can. And we might spend our lives fishing for fish, doing what we can to build our own little empire. But then along comes Jesus. Look what he says. I love this. Can you imagine someone coming up to you? You're doing your job or you're studying or whatever you're doing. Someone walks up and says, come follow me. You're like, what do you mean like Twitter? You know, I'll I'll follow you. This is the trouble with Twitter, right? It's killed following, the word following. Because follow now means, okay, fine, I'll follow Jesus. But that's not how we follow Jesus, right? I don't just follow him so I get a tweet from him each day. And, oh, nice little tweet from Jesus today. Let's see what he says. Let's see what Chris Moyle says. Let's see what everyone else says. No, to follow Jesus means that you follow him. It means that you lay down your crown, give everything up to follow him. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish people. Look, forget this fishing for fish thing. There's something way better than fishing for fish. You can fish for people. In other words, you can be part of building this great kingdom. You know what we've been looking at in Psalm 122? This city that God is building, which is actually a city of people. 
That's what God is doing in this world. He's building a people. And he says, look, join that. Get involved in that. Your fishing for fish won't last. It will only feed you for a few days. Then you'll be hungry again. Build this. Get involved in this. Invest in this kingdom. Now, let me just, okay, let me be really clear, okay? Because I don't want to be misquoted. And you will go and hand in your resignation tomorrow and say, oh, the pastor at church said I should leave my job and come and do something else. I'm not, Jesus is not saying to everybody, give up your daily job in order to follow me. But he is saying, give up your ambition to build an empire for yourself. Give up your obsession with a career that builds a name for myself. Instead, invest in a kingdom that lasts forever. So look, let, let, let's, let's play with something, okay? Imagine there's someone who is, and you may even be here, I don't know. Imagine there's someone who is brilliant at making money, like, like top-notch at making money. They can make millions and millions in the city. What should they do? Should they give up their job and then go and like, preach to people about Jesus? No, I don't think so. Because God's given them a gift for making money. But here's what they could do. They could say, you know what, I'm going I'm to use this gift God's given me, but not to build a name for myself, not to build my career and my fame, not to make loads of money for myself, but so that I can help more people hear about Jesus. Just think what I could do with the five million pounds that I could earn in the next five years. Think what a difference that five million pounds could make. You know, there are Christians through the centuries who've done this. Like massively generous. Because they believed they did not want to build a name for themselves. They wanted to invest in the kingdom. Can you see that? I want you to think it through. What will it look like for you to lay down your crown and say, Jesus, even my career, everything is in your hands. I want to use the person I am, the gifts I've been given, to build a kingdom that lasts forever. And if you don't, if you are not willing to lay down your crown before Jesus, and you want the crown for yourself, you will spend your life fishing for fish, and ultimately your kingdom will crumble. Because this kingdom brings all other kingdoms to an end. So there's something bigger than fishing for fish. But there's a second thing. And that is, um, there's something stronger than toothless religion. Okay, have a look down the next one, right? This is why we should leave. So we just let's keep going on what we're doing here, okay? We're trying to see why we should lay down our crowns to follow Jesus. Because there's something bigger than fishing for fish, and there's something stronger than toothless religion. Have a look at what happens next. So he's called these guys to follow him, and they've, they've left their nets to follow. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So he goes into the synagogue. That's like the Jewish church on their their, uh, Sabbath day. He goes in. He starts to teach. And the people are amazed. They've never heard anything like this. And then the most remarkable thing happens. And I want you to think about this. Because this has really got to me this week. Have a look at verse um, 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So as Jesus is teaching, try and picture it. As Jesus is teaching, someone 
stands up, a man stands up and starts screaming at the top of his voice. Right, here's my question that I want you to think about. Do you reckon that bloke was in the synagogue the week before? And the week before that? Because the way it reads to me is a man in their synagogue. He's part of their synagogue, right? He's part of it. So Bill. You are Bill. Bill's in synagogue again today. How's it going, Bill? He's there every week. He's just part of the group. He's a good religious man, is Bill. Nice bloke. Sound, you know, reliable. He's there every week in the synagogue. And except this week, when Jesus turns up, suddenly it's like, whoa, what's happened to Bill? Bill's gone all freaky. Why? Well, because here's the, here's the tragedy about human religion. It doesn't really set you free. It doesn't have the power. And this bloke has been there every week. And the things he's heard have done nothing for him. Because they don't have the power to set him free. Right, look, just as a, a moment of light relief. Um, <laughs> well, I say that, but you'll have to judge. Um, I was trying to give an illustration for this. And this may not be an outstanding illustration. I, I appreciate that. But I want you to imagine... <laughs> This is, I, I really, that's a bad way to start an illustration, but it's like me making an apology for my illustration, which isn't going to be very good, but I'm going to do anyway. So, imagine a circus, okay? And uh, it's a circus with animals, and all these animals live in little cages, and they're all there in their little cages. That's a miserable life, yeah? You know, there's Tommy the tiger, and he's very miserable. I'm a miserable tiger. And he's, he's in the cage. And then one day someone comes in and they start to talk to all the animals in their cages about life and about freedom, about what it's like to run in the wild, what it's like to feel the, the wind in your mane and, and your you know, whiskers thinging and you know, whatever is happening. And, and it's so inspiring. Just for a brief moment, everyone sits there and goes, oh, that's really, really nice. And they have a little moment of relief in their cage. What good has it done them? Nothing. It hasn't set them free. And can I say that up and down this country today, there are hundreds of thousands of men and women who are going into church because they think it's going to make them feel better. They are not hearing the truth. They're being told stuff that is not true, and they sit there and they're being told, you just need to be nice. And they'll go, nice, yes, that's nice. Oh, that makes me feel better, let's go. And it doesn't set anyone free. It has no power. Any message that simply comes and says, you need to be better. You need to try harder. We need world peace. We need to do this. We should do this. And we all sit there and go, oh, that's really lovely. I feel really inspired. And it has no power to set us free. That's what it was like for Bill. Week by week, he heard the same stuff, but it couldn't help him. But now suddenly when Jesus comes, it's like all hell breaks loose. Because when Jesus comes, suddenly the impure spirit that lives inside Bill, that has possession of Bill. I don't know if that's his name, but you understand I'm working on it. Suddenly it recognizes it's in trouble. 
Now, I realize that the idea of being possessed by an impure spirit, kind of demon possession, that's a bit weird in our culture, right? We don't really think about it very much. I mean, that's a superstitious thing from years ago, right? That's a weird thing. Except I don't think it is that weird. I don't think it's as weird as we think it is. There are many things today that control and dominate us. Lots of things can control us and can, and can kind of dominate and enslave us. Guilt. You ever been enslaved by some people here? Perhaps you've been enslaved by guilt. You know what it feels like to feel guilty and it eats away at you and you feel like you're in a cage. Lust. You know what it feels like to be entrapped, enslaved in lust? Well, it's the stuff that you do. You don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. I hate it. I hate it. And yet I still find myself doing it. Why do I do it? What am I doing? I feel like I'm in a cage. I can't break free. I, 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 I try, but I can't. Greed. I want more stuff. I just want more stuff. I need more stuff. It makes me feel happy. It makes me feel, I feel sad. I need to go shopping. Do you know what this feels like? All sorts of things that can control us and enslave us and dominate us. Now listen, we may not use the term demon possession and actually it may not be that we're absolutely possessed by those things, but we're all, we all feel the kind of slavery that comes. And behind those things, the Bible says, lies the devil, lies an enemy who wants to enslave us, who wants to keep us in a cage. And human religion just leaves us in the cage. It, you see, this is what human religion says. Look, come on. You've got a crown? Fight. You've got a problem with lust? Sort it out. Try harder. You're in control. You're the king. You're the boss. As Burger King wants you to know, you're the king. Have it your way. Do what you want. Wear the crown. Sort it out. But it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. But here's Jesus. Here's the kingdom. Here's the, if you will take the crown off your head and if you will lay it down before King Jesus, here is Jesus who has the power to set us free. Who has the power to really change. Who doesn't just come to a circus full of caged animals and say, let me tell you what it's like to be free. He comes and he opens one by one. He unlocks the cages and he says, go free. Enjoy your freedom. Here's Jesus. Do you see? He comes to, he comes to set us free. That's what the kingdom's about. Bill could not be helped by empty, powerless religion. But when Jesus comes, he's set free. The demon is terrified. He knows that he's going to be destroyed. He knows that Jesus is too powerful. And he cries out and Jesus like, just orders him around, be quiet. Come out of him. <laughs> and the man is set free. And the people are just blown away. Never seen anything like it. This is a religion with teeth. This is a man who's got real teeth. Does your Christianity have any teeth? Does it have any power? Oh, look, I know it's still a struggle. I know it's a battle. I know it's hard. But the problem is, here's the problem. What we do when we're battling is we say, I'll wear the crown. I'm going to fight. I can do this. I can do this. Whereas the right response to the battle is to say, Jesus, I can't do it. I lay my crown down before you. I don't have power. Please, Jesus, help me. That's how you fight sin. Because of this kingdom. And the danger is we look to the wrong place. Lay your crown before this king. 
And this war that Jesus is in, it's not just a war of words. It took him to a cross. This is no mere man who comes to say, let me tell you about freedom. This is a man who comes to die on a cross to win our freedom. When he died, he took all of my sin, all of my impurity upon himself. So when Satan tempts me to despair and he tells me of the guilt within, I'm not enslaved anymore. Because it's forgiven. I've got the power to get up and fight. I've got the power to try again. You see, this kingdom is wonderful. Here's the king. And the final thing, if you're still anywhere near alive, is this is the third reason you should lay your crown before Jesus, because there's something deeper than short-term solutions. So have a look at the very next bit. As soon as they left the synagogue, I mean, this is the same day. Jesus got to be tired, right? He's preached a sermon. He's cast out some demons. Now he's off to Simon Peter's mother-in-law, hoping for a meal, but she's in bed ill, so he's got to heal her before he can get a meal. Um, So he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And then look at verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon They all come. The whole town gathered at his door. And Jesus healing them all. Right, why do they come? Come on, why do they come? Why do they want to come to Jesus? Why are they all standing at his door? Because they want him to heal them. Because they are wearing the crown. Now think about this. Here I come, I've got a gammy leg, I've got a gammy leg. Oh, I've got a gammy leg. Jesus, can you sort my gammy leg? It's really sore. Could you sort it for me? Because this is really messing up my life. And if you could sort this, my life would be much better. Fix it. And they're treating Jesus like a genie or fairy godmother. Jesus, please could you heal my leg? Cheers. They want a short-term solution. They want their immediate problem fixed. So of course they're all crowding to him. But look, look, look what Jesus does. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. (laughs) Of course they are. They all want a piece of Jesus. They're all there going, Jesus, leg, (laughs) leg, gummy leg. You know, all of them following Jesus. And Jesus says the most extraordinary thing. Unbelievable. Verse 38. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. Is Is this your Jesus? That he would turn his back on people who are ill and sick to go somewhere else. He doesn't heal them. He turns his back. He turns away because he's gone. He's got something else. He goes, we need to go somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Now, first sight, you may say, hang on a second. I thought Jesus was loving and kind. Why is he turning away from them? He's turning away from them because his kingdom is not about short-term solutions. It's not about fixing your gammy leg. It's not about sorting out your financial problems. It's not about fixing your life now. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, not a short-term kingdom. His kingdom is a kingdom that lasts forever. His kingdom is a place where there is no more death or sickness or mourning or crying or pain, where there is no more poverty, where poverty has been made history. There is a kingdom 
That's what he's come to do. And if he spends all his time fixing people's gammy legs, then he can't tell the world the amazing news that there's a kingdom coming. There is something deeper than short-term solutions. Now, of course, if I'm wearing the crown on my head, all I want from Jesus is someone who'll fix me up. I want some Jesus. I want someone who just make my life better. If that's how you treat Jesus, that's because you're wearing the crown. Come on, Jesus. And when something goes wrong in your life, this is what you'll do. Well, Jesus, you didn't do that right, did you? Blew that one. Because we assume that Jesus' job is to make my life better. It's not his job to make your life better. It's your job to lay your crown down before him and to say, Jesus, it's your kingdom that lasts forever. That's where true joy is found. And Jesus came to establish this kingdom that lasts forever. Now again, don't hear me wrong. He does care. He does care about your needs. He does care about you today. And he cares about your gammy leg. But that isn't what he came to do. He came to establish a kingdom. So my simple question as we finish is this. Who's wearing the crown? Will you lay the crown down before Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't want to spend my life fishing for fish. I don't want to spend my life following some toothless religion that can't set me free. I don't want to spend my life on some short-term solution that's all about making my life better now. I want to invest my life in something that lasts forever. That's the kingdom Jesus came to bring. There is a king, and it's not me. Praise God. Let's pray to God. Father, thank you. We thank you that you, you, the God of heaven, that you have set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it ever end, nor will it ever be handed over to anyone else, and it will crush all other kingdoms, and it will itself endure forever. Father, thank you that Jesus has come and established that kingdom, and we thank you that one day Jesus will return and will complete that kingdom. And Father, we pray that in the meantime, while we live here now, we pray that we would live for that kingdom, that we'd lay our crowns down before Jesus and worship him. And we ask it in his name. Amen. We're going to uh, respond together. We're going to sing.